This morning I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 20. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 40. We are continuing our study that's entitled The Last Days of Jesus. And um, we've, we've been focusing on the last week of Christ's life before he went to the cross. And I told you we wouldn't cover it all because that last week takes up about a third of the Gospels. And a lot of that is either outright teaching on Jesus' part or Jesus responding to questions. And a lot of these questions were not sincere questions where people were coming to him and, and just really wanted answers. Uh, this is the last in a series of what I would call trick questions. I remember, um, you know, I, I couldn't stand trick questions on tests when I was growing up at school. You remember those trick questions where it's like they know you know it, but they want you to get it wrong anyway. And so they'll, they'll say, well, which answer is the most correct? You know, or the, these crazy things. You're like, well, there, there's correct and there's not correct. There's not most correct. Or they'll try to trick you. Well, these folks were trying to do this with Jesus because they didn't believe in him. They didn't trust him. And they didn't really want to hear the answers. They wanted to trip him up somehow. And if you, if you want to understand a modern-day equivalent, it's like when a politician gets on a, a talk show and they happen to land on you know, a network that's opposite of their view. They're not on there just to you know, have nice talk. They're on there to trick them and try to get them to say something wrong. And that's how these folks who opposed Jesus were. A lot of times, those opposing Jesus were the group of, called the Pharisees. And we're, a lot of us are somewhat familiar with them because we've heard, if you've read the Bible, you've heard about the Pharisees a lot. And they were uh, sometimes called the, the scribes or the keepers of the law. They were pretty well-respected religious folk, and, and they kind of kept the religious tradition in their day going. But they disagreed with Jesus on a lot of things, and they tried to trip him up. But there was this other group called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were different um, uh, from the Pharisees, a totally different group. Instead of being kind of normal folks, the Sadducees are a group that you might think of as old money, okay? The Sadducees were folks who, they were part of the high priestly family, so they had, they had been in the top of society. And, and it wasn't just the high priest, but it was a lot of the people who had political influence and power in the country, and they, they had old money, they had name recognition. And the Sadducees didn't like Jesus either because the things that he was saying ran counter to many of their beliefs as well. And so they come up, and there's something that they disagree with on the Pharisees. Jesus and the Pharisees would actually agree on the concept of the resurrection. But the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed in a here-and-now lifestyle that everything happens. There is no afterlife. There is no coming back or resurrection. They just said, whatever happens, happens here. Now, that theology was very convenient for them. Why? Why was that convenient for them? Well, they were placed well in society. They had lots of money. Their lives were rather easy. And so it was nice for, for their theology to say, oh, people who really love God and are good, they're blessed in this life alone. There isn't anything else. I'll never have to stand before God at Judgment Day. And the fact that I am in high society, that I'm living high on the hog, that's proof that I'm doing what I should be doing. And so they rejected uh, the idea of the resurrection. 
And so when we read this passage today about the trick question that they asked Jesus, we're going to realize that at the root of their question was them trying to make Jesus look silly and the whole concept of the resurrection, they were trying to downplay and to make it look silly. Okay, so our passage today is Luke 20, beginning in verse 27. I want to ask you to stand with me, please, as we uh, read the Word of God. Luke 20, follow along in your Bible as we begin in verse 27. Then some of the Sadducees, who denied that there is a resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second one took her as a wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. For all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful passage of your word, and we pray that you would use it to teach us about the resurrection, about heaven, about our life here and its connection to life uh, in the hereafter. Most of all, help us to be drawn closer to you and to be more faithful to you, more in love with you, because we've encountered you in your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, besides the concept of the resurrection, there's another uh, biblical teaching that's at the heart of this question, and it's something that's referred to as leveret marriage. And the idea of leveret marriage has to do with this whole marrying thing that you're hearing about. I know some of you ladies are hearing this, and you are thinking of a nightmare situation. If my husband died, I'd have to marry his brother. And then if he died, I'd have to marry the next brother and so forth. And, so, and this sounds like a complete nightmare, right? Uh, for everybody involved, this doesn't sound good. But you got to think back in this time and place. Marriages is in this day, and Jesus talks about being married and given in marriage. Marriages were not quite with our modern sensibility of, of romance and falling in love and all this. Ro marriages were basically a way for families to carry on and survive. They found a good prospect for their son or their daughter. They looked out, who's gonna, are they going to be able to support each other? Are they going to help each other and carry on our life? And so a lot of times some of these modern ideas that we have about romance, they weren't all in there. There was just... Hey, we're going to marry to help us survive. 
Well, that law about that leveret marriage was actually to protect women in that day who did not have a way of making money on themselves. That's why the Bible so often talks about take care of widows and orphans. He's not talking about the way it is uh, today where a woman may, her, her husband may pass and she may be well taken care of. They're talking about a woman who all of her financial resources and well-being is suddenly taken away from her and she's at the mercy of society. God says, take care of those kind of people. And this levirate marriage was designed, okay, guess what? If she was married to her first husband and she didn't have a son who could grow up and take care of her, then she'd marry the next brother because maybe through him she would have a son who could grow up. Well, obviously, this is a ludicrous example. They go all the way to seven, you know, kind of just a, a nice biblical number, and it's really big. I mean, there's no story ever of someone going through and marrying. I, I think husband number six or seven would be like, Marrying her is death. I'm not going to do that, okay? You know, so I don't think it would ever get that far. But they come up with this ridiculous story so that they can make the resurrection look ridiculous. They say, okay, Jesus, she married all these dudes. They all died. There was no kids involved, nothing any, any bit unequal. And then she dies. And then in the resurrection... Is it eeny, meeny, miny, mo, Or how in the world does she know which one she's going to be with? Now, <laughs> Jesus, rather than saying, you know, going back to that, the most correct answer, you know, he could have said, well, the first one had the, the greatest right or whatever, um, or maybe her favorite, or, you know, he could have given all sorts of different answers. Instead of answering who the husband is that she's supposed to end up in, in the afterlife, he says this. He says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to angels and the sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Jesus is basically saying this. Marriage in this life and the physical intimacy that comes with it is for this life. In the next life, things are operating. In the next age, the next stage, things are operating in a very different way. And so there won't be those kind of marriages. In fact, the Bible talks about, it does talk about marriage in the afterlife, but not husband-wife marriage. The marriage in the Bible is church, that is the bride, and Christ. That is the marriage that will be in heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us, if you go to that Ephesians chapter five passage and some of us love some of us don't love because there's all kind of words about submit and you know and and cherish and sacrifice and all these different things in there if you go look into Ephesians Paul ends up saying but this is really a mystery about Christ in the church in other words Paul is saying this thing we have called marriage in this life God set it up for our benefit and it provides for people to not be alone. Remember in the garden, God created Adam and he said it's not good for him to be alone. And so he creates Eve. 
God says, I designed marriage for companionship, for procreation, for pleasure, for all sorts of benefits that come out of it. But he says, in the next life, you're not going to need that anymore. Because there's no more need to populate this world. Because by that point, we're all like angels in that you can't die anymore. Once you enter the resurrection, you'll live forever. Well, then the next question comes about, uh, well, well, what about the, the intimate part of marriage? What about that, that, that good stuff? I mean, does that mean heaven's kind of a downgrade, that we, we can have some of that here, but we can't have that there? Well, I was reading Randy Alcorn's, I don't know, 500 or so page book on heaven, and he quotes C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis, back when he was writing this, you know, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, he is also uh, quite a, a brilliant man and, and Christian and did a lot of theological works. He talked about this in one of his works that he wrote, and he said, imagine that a young boy who just was not really old enough to comprehend marriage and, and, and man and wife and what they do. One, imagine somebody comes up to him one day and wants to instruct him, and um, kind of like that conversation we saw on the video with the boy holding the ice cream and that's the birds and bees you know this this boy was like what's what's going on but he says son they say to him son if you if you could just imagine when a man and a woman get together it is the best experience that you could ever imagine it's the it's the greatest joy and he says well does it involve chocolate and and someone what, what do you mean, does it involve chocolate? And, and uh, he says, well, does it involve chocolate? Because to his eight or ten-year-old mind, the greatest joy that he could express or that he could participate in was eating chocolate. Now, those adults say, no, 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 no. It doesn't involve chocolate. You're not thinking about chocolate. Chocolate's the furthest thing from your mind. And, and, and he would keep saying, but I, all he would think was, well, that marriage stuff that they do, that's no chocolate. And he would go away bummed out thinking he never wanted to be married because he wouldn't have chocolate when he was doing that. Well, that's kind of like those of us who think marriage is going to be, boy, it's going to be a bummer that in heaven we're not going to be that. We're not going to do that anymore. Let me tell you something. When God, anything that he takes away that we experience now that is good, God says, I've got something better in heaven. Can I tell you exactly what that looks like, exactly what that's about? No, I can't. I can't describe it. We don't know all the good things that God has ahead for us. But we can guarantee that whatever good that we have in this life, that God has that same good or something even better for us in heaven. Now, stepping apart from the, the physical side of things, a lot of times it's not just that. It's folks that, that are concerned, well, I truly just love my spouse so much. And I know my mother, since my dad has passed, she's talked about the fact, she's, I know about that verse about there being no marriage in heaven, but she said, this, this might be a little sinful, but I, I don't like the idea of your father not being as close to me, you know, in, in that afterlife. And, and, you know, would he be just as friendly with other women in heaven as he is with me? And, you know, she's, she's kind of talked to me. And, you know, 
when you're a preacher, you get to, you know, you get to ask lots of questions for lots of people, including your parents. And you know what I tell her? I said, Mom, there's nowhere in the Bible that says we're going to go into heaven and we're going to get a mind wipe. There's nowhere in the Bible that says all of a sudden we're going to be stupider in heaven than we were on earth. We're not going to know less in heaven than we know on earth. So if you have people that you love, if you have people that you have relationships with, you can assume that in heaven those friendships and that love will still be there. The only part is The marriage part, the part, that physical stuff, we said God is going to replace that with something greater and higher that that we really can't even imagine. But we simply, if we can trust God that he, his son rose from the dead and that we are all going to rise from the dead one day, then we can trust him to say, God, you have something even better for me. But I believe when you walk into heaven, not only will you long for the face of of your Savior Jesus, and not only will you long to see the Father and the Spirit, but that you will go and you will see and commune with all of the loved ones that have gone before. Now, Jesus, you know, he, he, said, he, he said, look, I've already given you one reason to, that your idea about there's no resurrection, that that's a stupid idea. He said, because you're thinking that everything is just going to be the same in the resurrection, But hey, we're here in this age, the next age, things are going to be different. We're going to be more like angels. By the way, I think this is probably where some people get that idea that when someone dies, they become an angel. Notice it does not say that anywhere in here. It doesn't say we become angels. It says we become, we are like angels in the resurrection. And he's referring to the fact that we will live forever in eternity and we won't have these same ideas about marriage that we, that we do then. But Jesus said, I've got an even better point that I want to make. I've got an even, a, a secondary backup for my belief. He said, you remember back at the burning bush passage in the Old Testament? You remember where he, Moses encountered God? And God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, why is Jesus going to this passage? There are clearer passages in the Old Testament about the afterlife and about the resurrection. Go to Daniel, go to Isaiah, go to Job, uh, even the Psalms. There's, there's passages all throughout the Old Testament. But the Sadducees had one other quirk about them. Not only did they not believe in the resurrection, but they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch. They said everything else, eh, we, we don't trust all of that newer stuff. Only the original five that Moses wrote, those are the only ones. And remember, they had already quoted Moses. They said, hey, Moses made this law. Well, he says, okay, if you only want to talk about Moses' writings, if you only want to talk about the first five books of the Bible, that's fine. Let's go back to that whole burning bush incident where he stood in front of them. Now, now, when he says this, he says, guess what did God say? God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, think about the difference here. God is the God of the living. Imagine if I was some 
great general. I know this is a big stretch. Put on your thinking cap. Imagine I'm a great general and I have a, a million man army behind me. And, and, and I go up and I boast to some other country, you better look at I'm coming through because I have a million man army with me. And that other country, that other king looks back at me and says, what are you talking about? Your million man army got wiped out in the last battle. You don't have anybody left. Well, I wouldn't have a million-man army anymore, right? I, I have nothing. I did past tense. But God is not saying I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says I am the God. That means, therefore, even though Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're not in this life anymore, if God is still their God, because dead people don't have gods, if God is still their God, then they are still alive somehow, some way. And Jesus said, look back, wake up to the fact that God has said, I am the God of all. The past, the present, the future, I am God. Well, they didn't really, uh, <clears throat> they didn't really have a good answer for this. And so some of them, by the way, the scribes, I think those were probably the Pharisees again, <laughs> said, good answer. We agree with you on that one because, you know, you're, you're with us on this one point against the uh, Sadducees. But then they dared not question him anymore. The question that was posed here for them concerned the resurrection. Is there really a resurrection? When you and I read this passage, our concerns have more to do with how will the relationships that we have in this life right now with our family and our friends, how will they be different in the next life? And based upon what Jesus has said and what the rest of the Bible says, I believe we can firmly conclude that we're not going to lose our memory we're not going to all of a sudden forget everybody. The relationships we have in this life will continue, but they will be changed for the better. And so the selfishness that each of us have and each of our friends and family members have that keep our relationships from being all that they want, all that they could be, those things will be gone. And our relationships will finally meet the potential of the full love and kindness and family feelings without all the bad stuff. And when it comes to marriages, you're going to remember, you're going to cherish and to value the good things you had, but you're going to realize that ultimately in heaven, the church, that is us who believe in Christ, our greatest fulfillment will come through being with him in heaven and God's got some ways of doing that that we don't understand any more than that eight-year-old boy could understand anything better than chocolate. But we have to trust God's word to say, hey, I've got something for you, and it's going to be greater, and it's going to be better than what you ever experienced in this life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that our faith is not for this life alone. I thank you that even though you are with us and you carry us and you bless us so much in this life, God, we've got so much more to look forward to. 
help us to understand that we only got, get one shot at this life, this age, this time, this brief journey we have on this life to make the most of it so that one day in eternity we can enjoy and we can value the friendships and relationships we make in this life in a way that we never could until we reach the next. Father, be with us now during our time of invitation. Bless this time. Help us to all bring ourselves to you, to bring our burdens to you, to, to lift up whatever God you have before us that we need to lift up or surrender to you. God, help us to do that in this time. And we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.